Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It is from the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1. And listen now to the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe, according to the working of His great power. God put this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He has put all things under His feet, and has made Him the head of all over all things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. 
And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us stand as you are able for the second lesson as we continue to follow the way of blessedness as we study the Beatitudes. And this morning we hear Jesus say, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And will you pray once more with me, please? O gracious and loving God, full of mercy and tenderness, full of justice, we ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be found acceptable, pleasing, life-giving. Your sight, O Lord, You are our rock. You are our Redeemer. We pray in Your name. Amen. In his book, The Wisdom of Tenderness, author Brennan Manning, who I had the opportunity to hear speak back in 2004 at a pastor's conference in San Diego. And let me tell you that the lineup at that conference was filled with many powerful speakers and very uh, well-known national figures in the Christian church. But Brennan Manning captured my heart with his white, hot intensity and passion for Jesus Christ and love for a Savior and understanding of the Savior's love for Him. Brennan Manning tells the story in that book of a friend who went to Ireland. His friend went to help his favorite uncle celebrate his 80th birthday. And on the morning of the big day of celebration, they awoke before dawn. They dressed in silence. They made their way down to walk along the shores of Lake Killarney. And there, just before the sun was to crest the horizon, they stood on the shore of that beautiful lake and looked across the water waiting for the first light of that day to pierce the dawn sky. They stood there silent for 20 minutes. And then the sun rose, shining on their faces. And Brennan Manning's friend said that it was then that, that uh, his, his friend's uncle turned with a radiant smile on his face and in all of his 80 years went skipping down the shore of Lake Killarney. And Brennan's friend went scampering after his uncle to catch him. And when he found him, he said, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. Do you care to tell me why? And the man turned with the light of that day shining on his cheeks that were wet with his tears. Uncle Seamus said, Yes, lad. You see, the Father is very fond of me. I, the Father, is very fond of me. How is it with you? What is your sense of how God the Father feels about you? Do you have an innate and deep trust of God's love for you? Do you know in your heart that God not only loves you, for that is God's character, and if God did not love you, God would cease to be God, but do you know in your heart that God also likes you? and delights in you. 
when we can answer with gut-level honesty, oh yes, the Father is very fond of me, then we are on our way to understanding this beatitude. We are on our way to experiencing the blessedness, relaxedness, the weight of anxiety lifting. We experience a serenity, a compassionate attitude, yes, toward ourselves and our own brokenness, but also toward our brothers and sisters in a whole relationship. The little letter of Titus that is tucked way back deep into the New Testament says this in the third chapter in the fourth and the fifth verse. Listen. The tenderness and love of God our Savior has dawned in our lives. He saved us not because of any righteous deeds, that we had done, but because of His mercy. Tender mercy and compassion are part of God's deepest nature. And we see these character traits in the face of Jesus Christ Himself. And we hear them in His teachings. We hear it this morning as Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. This beatitude calls us to participate in mercy. For when we participate in mercy, then we know the fullness of mercy. In other words, we do not obtain mercy until we are merciful. And we are not merciful until we have received mercy. And we have not received mercy until we know our deep need for mercy in our lives. Is there anyone here this morning who is not in need of mercy? When we reach the point of understanding and knowledge our need for mercy, we then come face to face with ourselves in the light of the face of Jesus Christ, and we are then ready to be merciful. So first, for us to understand this mercy and what it is that Jesus is teaching us, we must know how justice and mercy must be held together they are two sides of the same coin. So if we are going to consider mercy, we must also hold intention justice. Justice and mercy must go together. Because if, if, we, have, if we have justice and righteousness without mercy, it is ruthlessness. And by the same token, if we have mercy without justice, we have something that is simply mushy sentimentality. Do you follow that? Justice without mercy is ruthlessness. And, and mercy, they all are confusing me now, mercy with justice is nothing more than mushy sentimentality. 
The two go together. Jesus puts them together in the teaching. It was just last week that we considered the Beatitude where Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. And this morning we hear Jesus talking about mercy and holding these two together in proper proportion. So having set justice and mercy in this this context, let us unpack just what Jesus means. Simply put, to be merciful is to show kindness to the less fortunate. To extend ourselves to the needy, to the downtrodden, and to the poor. Mercy is like the Good Samaritan who went to the man who was beaten and left in the ditch to die. And the Samaritan went to that man not questioning why he was there or speculating that it was something that he did wrong to find himself in that condition. No, he simply saw the man in his need, saw him as his neighbor as Jesus described him, and he went to that one to offer that help, that compassion, that mercy. Mercy is the golden rule of Christianity. It is showing mercy in the manner in which we would like to be shown mercy in our own lives. It is understanding what life looks like through the eyes of another when we are merciful. It means that we are able to be empathetic. We are able to identify with another person. We are able to walk in their shoes, so to speak, to put ourselves in their place. Jesus was able to do this and demonstrated it in His life. When He heard blind Bartimaeus crying from the roadside, Lord, heal me! Heal me! And Jesus was moved with compassion to go to Him. In the same manner, we know that Jesus understood and could identify with what was going on inside of the prodigal son as He had a change of heart and change of direction in His life and went back to His Father to seek a place in that household. Jesus could empathize with the prodigal. For the story of Jesus when He was in the small town of Nain and encountered a funeral procession. And there on on the funeral pyre was being carried the body of a young man and leading the funeral procession was the young man's mother in all of her grief. And the Scriptures say that Jesus was moved in His spirit. He had compassion upon that that mother in her grief and he went to her the way that they described Jesus's experience of that scene was that he felt it deep down in his guts the Greek word is splanchnizomai I love that and it's found in the root splanchni do you know what the splanchni are they're your intestines Jesus didn't see it and understand it with His head. He did not see the grief of that mother and feel it in His heart. It went deeper into His intestines. Have you ever felt for somebody on that level? 
And Jesus is described as the compassionate one. And when we are merciful, we are able to move outside of ourselves to another. And when we are able to do that, we are understanding blessedness. Jesus said this, the one, her, the one who loses her life will find it. It is moving outside of ourselves to the other. A long time ago, doctors were, or a long time ago, we knew this. We knew this health, this wholeness, this finding in moving outside of ourselves is what Jesus taught, and now doctors are prescribing it. Some years ago, Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, was asked by a reporter, suppose you were heading for a nervous breakdown, what would you do? We might imagine that Dr. Menninger would say something like, well, if I were headed for a nervous breakdown, I'd go see a psychiatrist. But that's not what this wise doctor said. He said, if I were headed for a nervous breakdown, I would go straight to my front door. I would open it. I would walk across the street and I would find a person in need. The way out of anguish is to offer ourselves to another. It is the way of being merciful. Mercy is being kind to others. That's obvious. But being merciful is more than that because it is extending grace to the guilty. Now we're getting somewhere. It is Jesus on the cross praying for forgiveness that shows this mercy. Praying for those who put Him there. And who of us cannot identify with Jesus in this way that we have all been wronged? We have all been put on a cross of some sort by another by their wrongdoing. By an unkind word, by a stab in the back we feel crucified. By a character assassination. By being on the short end of a tricky deal. Or maybe there was someone even in our own family that swindled or cheated us out of our share of the inheritance. And there's so many other things that we could name. And so we must deal with these things in our lives, and it is our human nature that in the face of this would cause us to say, I will get revenge. They will pay. We can identify with the person who wrote, if only half-heartedly and in jest, my wishes are a humble dwelling with a thatched roof, a good bed, good food, and some fine tall trees outside my door. And if God wants to make me completely happy, He will grant me the joy of six or seven of my enemies hanging from those trees. Of course, that's not us. We know that as Christians, we are supposed to love our enemies. And we tell ourselves that we will forgive, yes, but we will never forget. But upon doing this, when we say this, we have, what we have done is replace our desire for revenge with resentment. And we hold on to that. 
which holds us back and holds us down. Yet the more we study, the more we know, the more we glory in the life and the mind of Christ Himself, the more we see the attitude of Jesus toward this kind of fear and hatred. And Jesus Himself, as we follow Jesus and know Jesus, is out to relieve us from this resentment. To save us from being filled up with lingering anxiety and anger that robs us of all the rights of knowing the true beauty of blessedness. Which ultimately robs us of life itself and will surely take from us even our health. The famous pastor Harry, Harry Emerson Fosdick said, Hating somebody is like burning down your own house to get rid of a rat. Doesn't work well. And once we realize that revenge and resentment are the way to unhappiness, the more we are ready to hear this beatitude and pursue the way of being merciful. And Peter goes to Jesus and asks Jesus, Jesus, when someone has wronged me, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, seven times. Seventy. If you're doing the math, that's 490 times that we are called to forgive. I don't know about you, but if I go down that road somewhere along the way, I'm going to lose count and maybe even in the process learn something about being merciful. So mercy is kindness to the unfortunate. It centers us outside of ourselves. It is extending grace to the guilty. And it also makes then for our right relationships and wholeness in human dynamics. And finally, being merciful is the key in, it, that unlocks the door of living in right relationship with the living God. And so in a sense, we're back where we, where we started. We've come full circle. Remember when I said we do not obtain mercy until we are merciful and we are not merciful until we have received mercy and we have not received mercy until we acknowledge our deep need for mercy, mercy and how desperately we need it. It is then that we find mercy in all of its beauty and abundance in the life of Jesus Christ Himself. There's an old pastor who reported of a parishioner coming with a question one day. And the parishioner asked the pastor, how can I learn to forgive another who has wronged me? And the pastor said, I believe there was sincerity and hope in that question, although I knew that that journey would be hard. And the pastor said, the only thing I could do was to tell a story. The pastor went on to say, the story was from the time when I was a missionary in New Zealand in the early days of Christianity coming to that part of the world and there was that line between barbarism and the faith. And we were serving communion one day in a church. 
And a man came forward. And as he knelt at the railing to receive the elements, he then quickly got up and went back to his seat and sat there for some time and then returned to receive the elements. When asked for the reason for this unusual behavior, the man said this, the first time I went forward and knelt down, I realized that the man who was next to me was the man who had murdered my father. And I had vowed to see vengeance. And full of hate, I could not take the bread and the cup. And so I returned to my seat and bowing my head and closing my eyes to pray, I saw before me three crosses and the man on the center cross was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Upon seeing that and hearing that, I could not stay away. And so I went and knelt to receive the body and the blood. This is what it means to obtain mercy so that we may thereby become merciful. Here is where we survey to cast our eyes and look upon the full glory of the cross and hear the words, Ah, the Father is very fond of me. He is so fond of me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we hear You speaking to us today. Even from the cross, as we make our journey to the cross, and beyond to the empty tomb. From the cross we hear You speak to us and about us. And there we see Your justice in the sentence of death that was for us because of our sinfulness. And Lord, in the cross we also see and hear from it Your mercy. For it is Your Son who is there in our place interceding for us. Father, forgive them. Lord, Your righteousness and justice are perfect. Your mercy and Your grace are beautiful and complete. Help us to be kind and merciful as You are merciful. This we pray in Your name. Amen.